Hi there, and welcome to our podcast, Art City Amsterdam. From Rembrandt to Dumas and from Leijsen to McQueen, Amsterdam has long been home to some of the world's most important artists. In our podcast, we will provide you a taste of art in this remarkable city. Together with our special guests, we will take you on a walk through the art scene of Amsterdam. We, your hosts, Rubia Balsam and Joost Bosland, speak to artists, curators, politicians and collectors about what they love about the city. Whether you're a longtime resident or planning your first visit, this podcast will inspire you to explore new and familiar corners of the Amsterdam art world. Welcome to today's episode of Art City Amsterdam. It's a particularly exciting episode for me. We have a, a guest who I've known for more than 10 years, Fariba Derekshani, Chief Special Projects at the Prince Klaus Fund, which must be the most amazing job title I've ever heard. We'll ask her about that. Fariba has been responsible for bringing a whole range of artists to Amsterdam, Elena Tsui, Zanel Moholi, Oscar Munoz, and this year she's going to bring the current winner of the Prince Klaus Award, Ibrahim Mahama, has been a mover and shaker and has really changed the pace of the Amsterdam art world. So we're excited to talk to her about that. Yeah, so welcome, uh, Fariba. Thank you. You are, as far as we can tell, one of the longest serving employees at the Prince Klaus Fund. For people unfamiliar with the fund, could you describe what it does in a nutshell? Sure. I think it's very important to say Prince Klaus Fund has started in 1996 and this is our 25th anniversary. It is an institution given to the Prince Klaus as a present from a Minister of Foreign Affairs when he was 70 years old. Prince Klaus Fund supports, connects, celebrates artists and cultural practitioners where cultural expression is under pressure. I think that's very important. The fund believes in the power of culture to have a real and lasting social impact. One of our principles is to trust and mutual trust and respect for each other. And you might have the best job title I've ever heard. I said in the introduction, <laughs> your job title is Chief Special Project. Oh, well, this is uh, <laughs> day to day, what does that actually mean? And how did you manage to get that as a designation? I think, I think this is actually to say this is the first year that this job title has been given to me. I used to have the program coordinator of the awards. <laughs> But because the whole strategy from the Prince Klaus Fund, we have a new strategy and we have changed and, and we only have one program now. And, and so this is a new job title called the Chief of Specialist Project, which sounds really very exciting as it might be. It's a new job for me as well. The title as what I'm doing. I mean, I've been doing the awards for the last 19 years, which is quite a long time. And I think as we said, change is always very important. We cannot stay the same. We have to change. And I think it's really important for institutions and, and foundations and everybody to look back and think, where is the, you know, we have started somewhere, but we have to go somewhere else because the world changes. I think when the Prince Klaus Fund started, we were really one of the first institutions in the Netherlands, especially to be concentrating and in the worldwide, actually, to be concentrating on culture and development and multidisciplinary, which is also very important, you know, from poets to writers to institutions to artists. And I think we just, you know, put a little light on them and make it possible for them to shine as they should. You, you say they've always been there, but if I look at your past winners and, and some of the other people you've worked with, the fund has always been really far ahead of the curve. You're supporting the second Johannesburg Biennial in 1997. 
the same year Malangantana from Mozambique got the award, who Tate now has in their permanent collection, but they only acquired the work five years after you guys gave the award. The Stedelijk Museum, as we all know, bought a large Alan Atsui this year, and, and it was in all the papers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> True, but you gave him the award in 2009. Exactly. So you were more than 10 years ahead of the Stedelijk on, on this one. How we managed to bring Elena Tsui. It was our 20th anniversary. I must say, as you said, I'm very privileged and I feel really honored to know all these people, these fabulous artists, and, and, and to know them so well and have a relationship with them that I just can't tell them. Hi, El. How are you? Okay, I'm in Nigeria now. I'm coming to see you, you know, so I went all the way to his place and it was very quiet and very nice, you know, going all the way to the place that not everybody goes to, Nasuka, which mm. is, you know, not really a place that you go to normally <laughs> as a, a woman alone to travel inside Nigeria and then to go an hour and a half and they were also very protective of me. And I told him, you know, El, it's our 20th anniversary. Would you please do an exhibition in our gallery for our anniversary? And without anything, he said yes. And I was, you know, that's what I mean, what you have in a relationship. And I was hoping that many, many years before the Prince Klaus one in our small gallery, they, they would have shown his work at the Stalag Museum as one of the exhibitions or anywhere else. But unfortunately, nobody did in 2016. 2016, wow. And I think, that answer partly goes to my next question. What do you actually do to maintain that position so far ahead of the curve? It sounds like you're traveling places. I mean, what's, what's I think we were, uh, I must secret? say that, we, <laughs> I must say that our secret has been in the vision where the Prince class one started. I think the idea was, as I told you before, these people are there. We just have to see it with a different eye. And we always thought artists from uh, different countries uh, musicians from different countries, writers from different countries, I mean from Africa, Asia, Latin America, they are much better even than, than the rest of the world, but nobody is putting as much attention because maybe they were not in the art market. Uh, we also had the exhibition of Ibrahim al-Salahi, mm -hmm. which is also a Sudanese, sure. fabulous, uh, he got an award from us in 2002. Oh, wow. And you know, when I remember the day we went for the opening of his work in London and Chris Derkin said, you know, it took us 16 years to bring his work to Tate Modern. So, you know, it takes a lot of years for any big modern uh, museum in, in the world to bring the work of these people who have really been there forever. So I think that's really important, especially when they get an award, you know, they get nominated, we do research, we go and see them. So that's how we get to know people ahead of time. So what I've heard, you've also had a very vivid experience and also a story about uh, Maholi. Maholi, my favorite person, uh, artist. Very important to say that I think along the years, what we have together, when they say something, I will understand it immediately and words are not always necessary. And for me, the most important experience was the awards ceremony in 2013. I think it was 2014 when I was in South Africa. And there was also an opening of the show in the museum. And I had never, I thought, I know everybody in this room. And because we had, we had the show before and this exhibition of all these faces and faces, which 
was for months in the gallery. So I entered the space. I said, like, I've never been to South Africa before. I entered the space. I thought, I know everybody. And it was on a Valentine's Day. It was, you know, to the 14th. I thought, I've never experienced being with 300 guests. And from these 300 guests, I know 200 of them, 150 of them. I know them all, but I didn't know them at all. But the energy that I got in that exhibition uh, opening and from this ceremony, you know, because of the ceremony about the cocktail or whatever we call it, was out of this world. I mean, I've been to many, many awards ceremonies in the local context of the countries, but this one was out of this world. Another artist you've brought to Amsterdam out of many is, is Abra Rodriguez. Well, I think Abel Rodriguez. One, one in 2014. Yes, I mean, Abel Rodriguez is one of the artists, which is, his, he doesn't call himself an artist, and I think he's an indigenous botanist, knows about everything in the forest, and he just draws it as he'd seen it. So it's about forests, about the animals, and, and what you see outside. One of the artists that people should know. So if you don't know Abel Rodriguez, just put your name, and you will understand who it is. And also that brings to the question that you have been part already for 19 years now for the Prince Claus Fund in the 25 years that has been existing already. And many yes. praise you actually also for the fact that you are um, one of the most important employees, I would say, for creating really a relationship with all these kind of different artists, but also nurturing it and fostering it. Could you say that you have played a role in fostering, I would say, a culture of internationalism in the Dutch institutions? I don't think it's personally as me as a, as a person, I think it's the role that I played in and maybe uh, maybe it does help that I truly see this job not as a job, but it's a passion. And I think I really always in my life have been very much driven by what I like to do and what I believe in. And I really believe in these people. So when, you know, giving an award is one thing, but I mean, to stay in contact with people, it's Prince Klaus Fund is one of the these awards and the people that we are in contact with, not only the awards, but also other programs, is I think the most important is not the amount of the award, but it's the relation that you keep with them. So it's something that you have to nurture each year. I think one thing maybe help is that because I have my diverse background of living in different countries my whole life and, and being able to talk different languages and not languages, not only the language, but it's the body language is the cultural language. So for me, language is not only a, something, a dialect that we speak, it's everything that we do. Where did you live? Uh, well, I'm Persian. Uh, I left my country when I was 12. I went to a British boarding school. And, so, and then I went to the States and studied my university there. Then I went to Paris. Then I went to Geneva. And then I came to the Netherlands because I was married to a Dutchman. Otherwise, I had nothing to do here. <laughs> But I think what's really important, what has kept me here and kept me really happy is the international atmosphere of the Prince Class Fund and the people that I've been involved with so much that makes life really enriching and be able to, <laughs> to live here. <laughs> so you describe how you learn all these things from the artists and the awardees, the playwrights and writers. Do you feel other Dutch institutions have learned anything from you? I think I've learned you, you, what you can do is you, you put these fabulous people and you show them how we work. And if they learn from it, it's really very good that they take the knowledge of, of accepting it. And yes, they have, you know, they, after they've seen it, they said, you know, or not only the Dutch, also other institutions, uh, even 
you're talking about Eranatsui and the exhibition and also the piece that was acquired, which is also done with a museum in Bern. Mm. So it's something they've acquired together. And actually, Elena Tsui's exhibition, it was Bern, and I just went to the opening. And I was so honored to hear uh, the director of the museum saying, uh, thanking the Prince Klaus Fund and saying that she had seen the work of Elena Tsui at the exhibition at our gallery first, which really, oh, wow. I felt so proud to say, you know, mm. not in any other place in our small gallery. So yes, it does, does make me feel very happy. And sometimes really sad as well, you know, like when we had an exhibition of the work of Oscar Munoz, which is a world-renowned Colombian artist, and it was such a fabulous exhibition. And the year after he got an award, uh, many awards, and also the Hasselblad Foundation gave him an award a few years ago. Not so many people knew who was Oscar Munoz. And I think, you know, how come you don't know it? Because Oscar Munoz, because he's a Colombian artist and a very well-known artist in the world. But in the Netherlands, I mean, people would not know. So you've described how you now find people. You have this amazing network around the world. Yes. But in the beginning, it must have been very different because you were starting from scratch in a way. How, how did you find the first awardees? I think it's really important to say that, of course, Els van der Plas is the person who was the first director of the Prince Klaus Fund. And I think in the beginning, is, again, is before I ever arrived at the Prince Klaus Fund. I think the most important is the prince himself and the people who uh, started as the founding members of the Prince Klaus uh, Fund had this vision of putting the award as the first program and they knew people and they just have nominations. And you know, if you have a few good people and you start somewhere small and you get nominations, of course, Els had extensive knowledge of the world because she had been, you know, been working herself before at Gates Foundation and, and you know, worked as an art historian and being in Indonesia and, you know, been traveling around also had the idea. But again, I think our network was started well, and I think it was the vision. And also we were living in a different lifetime. I think people were more open and open to things, to new things. And I think you must also have a bit of a courage to do things, to take the risk of doing and, and supporting people that nobody else knows. And, and what have you done to maintain, I would say, this whole network of artists over the years? You know, what we've done is, of course, we always, we had these different programs in the past. We had many uh, people could call for proposals. We had library, but we had the culture emergency response, which was still is there, and the awards program. And the network, Prince Class Fund Network, which was also, you give an award, is one thing, but giving to work with institutions for three years, and then another three years of giving them uh, money and to work with them. So these and a network partnerships, they extend your uh, knowledge of people. You know, you have somebody from Brazil, you have an institution, a dance uh, company, you have, you know, different multidisciplinaries. When they get to each other, you know, that's how it grows and grows. And of course, we always ask them advice. So you keep on asking them advice if you want to do something else at the project. We always ask local people. These are the people that we know and we trust if we want to give an award, if we want to ask a second opinion on a project. So somehow we keep them involved in, in long the years. And facilitate them at the same time. Facilitate them if possible. You know, we used to also have this mobility fund, which, you know, you could give us simply a ticket for somebody to go to an exhibition which they have never been able to go or to come to a country that they've just a small ticket. So we had these 
different that, that ways. That sounds of, so simple, but it's so it's important. It's so important. And I think now the new Prince Class Fund, the new strategy, we are having three different sorts of awards. And one of those awards is a seed awards, which we're going to give 100 awards to artists, again, change makers, culture practitioners, in the very early stage. I think it's important is to, to give the opportunity and to give a platform. And once they have this platform, maybe we hope doors will open to them and they can, you know, what's the name is really good, see the words. So you give it and then hopefully they will grow in the years after. And then we have another award called the Mentorship Awards. That's, you know, they can apply for, we work with other institutions together. And these awardees, Mentorship Awardees, will get a, you know, training to be mentored by, a, a, for example, the ADDP is something we've done in the past with film and the Magnum Foundation and the Prince Class Fund. And then we're going to have another sort of award called the Impact Award, which is once in two years. And those are artists that are a bit more, uh, they're not at the end of their life cycle, but in the middle of their life cycle, not in the beginning either. When you and I speak about artists, Friba, like this past year about Kamala Ibrahim Ishak, you're so incredibly knowledgeable and really sound like an art historian and an artist advocate at the same time. But preparing for this interview, I learned you studied international relations. I know. Can you describe for our listeners how you got from international relations yes, to what you're doing exactly. today? I wanted to work at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Of, the, you know, of Iran and you know, Persian, and I, I mean, I, that's what I wanted to. I always wanted to be a diplomat. But uh, then the revolution came, and, you know, things changed. And then I went to Paris and, uh, you know, after my studies, and I also went to Sorbonne and studied culture and civilization and started. And actually, coming to the working was not my first objective when I came to the Netherlands, and I didn't work. I was lucky enough that the Prince Class Fund found me and I found the Prince Class Fund, I must say. And has been, I think, working process, process. So you learn so much. I've, I've been groomed and learned so much from being there, you know, because you don't have to necessarily be yourself an art historian or any, anything in that sort to be able to help people and to read. And because we have always experts, you know, we... That's, I think, one of the things that is very special about the Prince Class Fund. We have an international jury. We have experts. We have experts who help us. And then you learn along the way. And I think that's the best way to learn. Your eyes are open to a new world. And the new world of art and culture is so enormous that you think that is people think it doesn't make a difference in your life, but it's a change, life change-making history. You know, especially I've been... Again, we're talking about artists, only visual artists, but I mean, I was being very lucky to know people like Mahmoud Darvish, who is a, the biggest Palestinian poet, my favorite person, so lucky when we gave, gave him an award, and to know that person as a person, you know, to, to read his poems and to choose, you know, for the awards book, asking him, can you please write something with a hand? And he wrote it with his hand, you know, to have it in the awards book. So you learn along the way, so it's such a vast school of, of, for me, it's been really a, like getting a PhD and master's in, in life because I think uh, culture is, is life. Uh, I think really, for me, that's the most important. And maybe 
because you're talking about, yes, international relations, politics, diplomat, is something has been in me from the beginning. So, you know, I've been, when I was a child with, with people around me, with my grandmother, with other members of the family, it's the way you learn how to relate to people, which helped me maybe to make it comfortable to work in a surrounding and to connect to people. We have to learn how to adapt to a different situation. When I was at university, I had only friends from Latin America, from Lebanon, from... So you learn how to deal with people and you understand them. And I think that maybe is my asset. I can say that to how do you go? You have to, and from home, you learn to be, um, to be giving, you know, to do things, to to like people, to lo really like them, genuinely. I genuinely like people. I love people. I love to entertain them. I like to, to bring them home and to feed them and to do things with them. You know, I just, I just love people. So I think it does help. And, and I think you became a diplomat through the back door in the end. <laughs> yes, maybe. Yes, it's true. Exactly. That's what I say. It's, you know, everything that you learn in life is, comes back to you somehow. So perhaps in that matter, you are very intuitive and lead your life, but also your professional life is very intuitive. In a way, yes. I see the power of people, individuals, in different ways that maybe other people don't see it. It means I see an artist, of course, Kamala Ibrahim Ishak was there, but I see there's more than a person than behind it, you know. It's more than the potential and also the things that other people have not seen of. You just have to open the door, you know. It's something, you, you get a present. And you have to open it, unwrap it. And there are so many layers, you know, like, so every time I open one layer, it's like a, an onion that, you, you know, you keep on, on of an artichoke, you know, you, you keep on taking one until one by one, and then you come to the, it will take you a long time. So you need a lot of time to nurture before you get to the point of it, yes. And also your chief special project. So why yeah, would you nice. ever look for another job? Yeah, yes, exactly. It's not but as I said, this is a chief special project. It's something that I have to, to learn what to do now. And I think what I do first is our 25th anniversary. And I'm trying to put a, a program, of course, again, with experts and other people and, 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 and my colleagues and everybody who has been at the Prince Glass Fund and has helped us not individually here, but from outside. And I have appointed an artistic director to help me as well too come up with something special for this. So it's going to be unveiling uh, later on this year, at the end of the oh, year. Can't you tell us who the, who the <laughs> artistic <laughs> well, director is? Yes, I can tell you the artistic director is Ong Ken Singh. He's from Singapore, he's an artistic director. He's been in my jury for four years, so I know him really well. He knows the Prince Das Fund. And I think that's also important to understand when, we, when I work with people, what I usually also, when I bring the artist, I always, take somebody or an, a curator for the show, especially people that I know well, and I know they know the work and the artist really well. And she also told us a, a story of when the two of you were traveling in Kabul in Afghanistan. Oh and while the rest of the delegation was just wearing practical clothing, she remembers you insisting on wearing your high heels. <laughs> so how do you manage these, uh, I would say, contradictory <laughs> impulses, so common in the art world, of deadly serious subject matter and a certain amount of glamour and uh, joie de vivre? I think I've, I've learned from a child, I think it's something that I, I mean, in one of the articles that somebody did in one of the magazines, but one of my clothes, pieces of clothes, I also said it as well. When I was a child, my grandmother said, whenever you go out, 
you just have to feel this is the way that you want to be seen. You know, as a child, you see that. And I always think, you know, when I came to the Netherlands in the beginning, for the first time, I remember I arrived in 1985 and I used to live in Geneva. And I was, you know, I was still quite young. I was 25 or whatever. But I came with my fur coat, you know. I came to them and I was walking in the streets and I, you know, and my ex-husband at that time, I was not married yet. We had a place in Kaiserslautern on the canals. And I was walking and then there was an architect bureau there. And this guy came up of seeing me every day coming out with a different, they said, you know, I don't know what, where you're coming from, what planet, but in the Netherlands, people don't wear, walk, you know, these um, fur coats and walk. And then I said, oh, this is a different thing. You know, I have to learn because in Geneva, it was normal. So, you know, you learn in the living in different, living in Paris, living in Geneva, living in different places, boarding school, you learn how to, to be yourself. So, you know, you just be yourself and maybe. Perhaps that's the secret then, therefore, of your professionalism in relationships that you unconditionally stay yourself. Yes. I've learned from a child from my, you know, in my family, you respect people and you get respect. So I think this is my motto. Without giving respects, you never get respect from anybody. So for me, everybody is the same. I really truly believe that you have to be respecting everybody at the same level. I would, it doesn't make any difference who it is. So you, you told us how the initial money for the fund came from the Dutch government. Yeah. Um, but I know in recent years that you've started fundraising uh, with yes, private donors I, as well. Can you tell us something about that? Yes, the Prince Klaus Fund, uh, as you said in the beginning, was given as a gift. So totally in the first five years and then another 10 years. But then afterwards, we always had to have a, a, a part of, a partially a part of the money, uh, the funding to fundraise. So I think the fundraising part has become, played a bigger role each time because, you know, if your budget is, you have to do a third of your budget or whatever, 25%, it's quite a million or something. It's a lot of money that you have to fundraise. So I guess it's a different ways of working. But a lot of fundraising that we do, for example, is with people like organizations like the Goethe Institutes and the Prince Klaus Fund. You know, we both put money and we do a project. This kind of, that is also fundraising. But we have very generous torchbearers, as we call them, in the Netherlands. And there are private people who will give us, you know, who believe in, in, in our mission and who help us every year. You don't just work at the Prince Klaus Fund. Uh, for the past three years, you've served on the supervisory board of MELI, the art institute in Rotterdam, formerly known as Witte de Witt. Has it been to bring your ethos, your way of working to an institution that I always thought of as a bit theoretical, clinical, cold maybe? I think, first of all, we have to define the word of a supervisory board is very different than a board member of others or, you know, because supervisory board, we don't decide what happens. We just supervise, as it's called. It's called supervisory board. So I think it's a, we uh, believe in our uh, director, Sofia Hernandez, which is she's a very, very good and, and I think fabulous and capable director. And of course, the role is just to be there and to, to you. They provide the program and we just support it. I think it's important because the advisory boards used to be all white men, right? In the beginning, in all the institutions. Mostly. Until five years ago. Oh, exactly. So I guess it's already very important. We are, we are already are a part of something which is uh, more open. I think that starts for me 
you know, you have to be realistic in life and see things, how things have been, and look at the list of the people. Although I think Meli has always had a very open-minded way of working. So you served on the board uh, during the process of its renaming. And for our listeners to have a little bit of an understanding of the background, Witte de Wit was named after the street where it is located, which in turn was also named uh, after a 17th century uh, Dutch naval officer and war criminal. So on what has been your experience being on the front lines of the debate of the decolonization of the Dutch art institutions? I think it's a very loaded question and very difficult to answer politically and correctly and diplomatically. And I would say in the case of Witte de Wit or Melly, I mean, it's something that the, the name of the street was Witte de Wit. Okay, so I think that's a starting point. When a street is named, you cannot, and it was just called that because the street was that. So it's not particularly that they started to do that. I think, again, it is Witte de Wit was there already 31 years. So 30 years ago, maybe this was also a different world, and it was just the name of the street. But I understand through the debate, and I think what's really important is the process of changing the name that the, the director, Sofia Hernandez, uh, did such a good job of taking the time to make the change in the name with doing research and with a local, with doing you know advisory boards of people from the street, people from different questions, you know, the ones who wrote the, the letter to whoever, to understand exactly what it is and how to change it in a process that makes it as transparent as possible. Three names were chosen, and finally it came to Meli, which was already a part of the institution. Meli, uh, the name of the worker, and you know her face being a, a nobody, uh, just a normal worker. And I think it's a very appropriate name. I was listening to a conversation between Ashil Mabembe, which has been actually a part of the Prince Claus Fund, advisors from day one, and uh, he hosted uh, another symposium for the Prince Glasman at the Palace North End as, as a chair, a very important person, one of our best advisors that we've been in touch with. Uh, he had a conversation with Homi Baba about his new book, Out of the Dark Nights. It's an essays on decolonization, which is a, a must-read book. I've ordered it myself because when I heard about it, I said, I have to read this book. I think because this is very important to talk about the conversation of how people uh, in different parts of the world are all having the same problem. I mean, not problem, it is an issue that is an issue that is nowadays very much in every country. How do you become this decolonization? How do you work with it and how do you deal with it in different places? From museums, from, from people wanted to give the artifacts back to the, from other countries to give the artifacts to the museum back to the countries to, there are so many different ways. And I think denial is not a good thing, but the facts in history is that some things have happened and how do we do deal with them? But this is a process that has started, and I think with the black, movements for the last years, it's, it has, um, you know, gone to a fast, uh, you know, fast forward. And I think it's just a different ways of looking at the fast forwards. And of course, there are people who have been already in the art world as well for many years are saying, you know, we have to look at different ways and not saying, I mean, people, I mean, a lot of artists don't even like the word of saying I'm an artist like Kamala herself. If you say Kamala Ishak, if you say you're an artist from, from you're one man or a woman or Africa, you know, she said, I'm an artist. When you say you're an artist and, she, and somebody asked her in an interview, are you a feminist? Is it because you talk about, she said, you know, for me, an artist is, is the artist not a, 
masculine, feminine. You're an artist, and I think that's very important. Or you are from. I also am very much in favor of people not being labeled where they're coming from, but they're just to see them as they are. As you know, if you talk about, as Elena Tsui said in an interview, uh, they asked him, "Oh, you're an artist from Africa." He said, "If you have a footballist, you know, playing from different countries, do you ask him, Mr. Footballist, from which country you say he's working? You know, he's in the in, in the." in the football team of, of France. So you never say <laughs> about where, you know, people are coming from, these labels. And I, I know a lot of the artists that I know of, women artists or whatever, they put them, oh, we are doing an exhibition about a woman artist from Iran, for example. You know, and this word, they already will not, don't want to be a member in this exhibition because of this labeling. You are labeling people in different, in the art world. And some curators take it very, Literally, they think it makes it easier or better, but the artists themselves, they really dislike it. But I found it very interesting that Tate Modern, an example you used, um, yes. actually in 2019 they invited Kara Walker yes. to decolonize the whole country and in, in the institution itself. So perhaps, who can we invite for the Netherlands, for the Rijksmuseum or Stedelijk Museum? Who would be the, the best artist to do so here? A best artist? I mean, artist or like curator? I mean, or curator, perhaps? I mean, that, I mean, Artists are always there, but I think curators are the one who, who bring the artists and put them there. I think it would have been if we had Oakwee's vision already as a director of the, of the Selig Museum many years ago. I think the world would have changed. You know, I'm talking about very close to us. But I think if we start already with all the museums changing the world of women, artists, curators, everybody who is in the museums to be a part of it, it will change by itself. But everything has to be done little by little, and I don't think it's overnight. I'm already very happy that Elena Tsui's work is there, but I should have been there many years ago. Hopefully Kamala's work, Kamala Ishak's work, is going to be there as well, uh, or in other, other places. I know that Momo has acquired her work lately, so that's very happy. I'm, I'm very excited that they have the work. So the, the one image I won't forget from this interview is Okwi as director of the state look. That, that's something to, to take wish, with us. Thank you. Changing tech completely, you have two daughters. Is there one thing you've learned from your time at the Prince Klaus Fund that you could or maybe already have passed on to them? I think something that I've, from the Prince Klaus Fund, I'm learning is to be open to, to different things and, you know, not to see things from one way. I think with an open mind and open heart to look at everybody individually, from an artist to a person that you meet. I think that is something that you learn living in the Netherlands. So I'm also really interested on your perspective in regards to, I would say, the Dutch, but also the, the art scene in Amsterdam. Looking from the perspective of, of international artists you meet, what is their perception of our Dutch breeding ground and our Dutch scene? Of course, uh, most of the artists, like, you know, again, I will go to Kamala. She wanted to see the Van Gogh Museum because it was something that she had always wanted to see. So I think it's very important to know that even all the artists in the world that have studied in other places, of course, the Dutch art, they always think about, of, you know, the Rijksmuseum, Van Gogh, depending on who it is and who sees what is important. So they always want to these place, see these places first, if they've had the chance. I've never been to the Netherlands. So for them, uh, so much about the, the art scene of the Dutch artists, of the contemporary artists, I mean, it's the galleries are very, very much a place that each gallery is totally different. And I think the galleries 
I think the Amsterdam Arts Weekend for the last few years has really done a good job of opening the uh, international uh, viewer to what is seen, not in the museums only, but in the other, you know, smaller parts of Amsterdam in the galleries. So I think it's been a really an opening, eye opening for the scene in Amsterdam. I feel like we're going to get a good answer to this one. What annoys you the most about Amsterdam? What annoys me? <laughs> I don't know if I can say what annoys me the most in Amsterdam. I think... What would you like to be changed? Oh, I was more thinking like the weather or the trams or anything. I think it's... No, I don't... I think it's such a cliche to always talk to complain. I think... I'm sorry, maybe I'm not Dutch enough to say it. I think it's the, the attitude of complaining. I think that I would change. I'm complaining, especially complaining, complaining, things that there are no reasons to complain about. I think if we learn to gratitude every morning and say, you know, so lucky I'm here, even if it rains, it's good. We don't, I don't have to, to water the plants outside or something. It would be such a difference of attitude. You make your life miserable or you make your life nice with the way you wake up in the morning and decide this is my day is going to look like. Okay, so in that matter, what is, the, I would say, your favorite spot within Amsterdam? My favorite spot, you know, I think when I, I lived in Amsterdam in the beginning in 1985, when I, I was living at the Kaisersgracht, and I used to go away and come back, is the first, when you, especially when you come with a car, the first thing that you see is the, the, at night you arrive and you see the canals again and the beauty of everything. That's, so there is not one favorite spot, I think. Everything is so beautiful. You just have to open your eyes and think, my goodness, this is, aren't we lucky to be here? Of course, if you, what spot, if I would like to go in this busy streets of Amsterdam and to find peace if I'm having a coffee or lunch, one of my favorite space, it's the little garden of the Grant. You're really in not necessarily the most comfortable part of the city in the middle of the red light district. It's it's kind of it's like a heaven in, in um, this. And then you come into this oasis, gorgeous oasis. But Your favorite word. part of Amsterdam. Again, because you come from it, because it's a secret place. You know, you come from these. But now you're telling streets. people about it. It's very oh dangerous. My God. Yes, you're telling it's people. It's going to be flooded by our <laughs> listeners next year. But, but how did you find this? How did I find this? I think that's because of, again, of the very special contact that we have with the Amsterdam hotels, the luxury hotels. And the Grand is one of our favorite hotels. And I've done many uh, dinners here in the winter and in the summer. I've had many meetings. It becomes normal to, you know, to come here. But I also came here because of living very close to this place. Mm -hmm many years ago, but it was not as nice. I mean, 30 years ago, it was a different space. I always came because inside is so beautiful because the Princess Beatrix and Prince Klaus got married here, apparently, in the, I think that's what I said, in the room. And the rooms are so beautiful. So we had also a lot of meetings, jury meetings, inside this, this fabulous hotel. That's why I, and my jury, always loves this hotel they some of them they did not go want to go anywhere else even the changing juries is why what's culture yes exactly that's one of the speeches of the prince klaus self in the first year 
um, he's talking about, I can't really, of course, recall every word that what he said, exactly what he says. I've got this fund that was given to me for culture and development. But what is actually culture? Do you eat it? What can you do with it? I mean, and many other things. So that's, yes, what is culture? It means... What is it to you? What is it to me? It's everything. The way you breathe, the way you eat, the way you walk, the way you dance, the way you talk. Everything, I think, has culture. I think culture is, is how you see it and how you define it. If it's not dangerous, why do people kill for it? If it's, you know... I have a quote here by Daniel Arsham. Yes. He says, culture is what we define ourselves by. Exactly. To my opinion, I think in the last decade, there has been a shift within, I would say, the arts and culture much more... I think before it was a lot of focus on the arts, and now we are moving much more towards the focus of culture. I think that art is something, such a broad way of saying it, art. If it's, especially if it's a painting or, you know, you put something, if it's only for decoration or is it, does it have something to it? So, you know, so you can see, it. of course, there are so many things that you just use as decoration. Like you want to have, you know, some people go to a gallery, they said, I want a pink looking, you know, to go with my pink couch. And some others are really, when you go to an art gallery, you want something that reminds you of something, of somebody's culture, of somebody's, you know, going more into it. So when you're talking about art, art could be explained again in different ways. What do you see as art? You know, the people in the caves were also drawing on the caves. So that's also art, but it's also the culture. It was, I think it's a need. A psychologist, you ask kids to draw something if you have traumas. That's also kind of an art, right? All these people who are living in these countries with all this um, hardship and censorship, they find a way to, through art, to speak about what they're feeling. So our universal language in that yes, sense. Yes, but in a different way. Everybody expresses it differently. So art, you know, what is music? If you don't have music, you're dead. If you don't, I mean, that's also art. But it's not, what kind of art are we talking about, you know? So it's, we can always say art and culture in a very broad way. I read actually today that Amsterdam is one of the most diverse cities culturally-wise uh, of the world. I think it's the openness of the Netherlands and Amsterdam has been always the idea of everybody had in the back of their mind that there, it's an open space, open to be expressing your cultural beings without being discriminated so much. I mean, that's the idea, right? I just say that's the idea. You moved, you moved here in 85 uh, for, for love, right? Yes, yes. And, and when did you realize you were going to stay here? When did I realize? I think from the beginning, I mean, when you first, when you get married, you always think it's something that you live and you will always stay. And but when you, when I got a divorce, I still thought it's the only place that I was want to stay. I wouldn't. I why, didn't, why, why was that? What, what because I felt, as as I said, because of my job, I thought I'm happiest here with my the the work of the Prince Klaus Fund that I adore and I admire. And where else can I find such a nice job? And my kids were here, you know, I didn't want to take them and deroute them. And I've lived here for so long, so. And I, I feel very comfortable. I, I mean, I, I think Amsterdam has, is very special. Do, do you think you'll it's live here the rest of your life? 
the rest of my life. You know, you never can, I've learned not never to predict things, what will you do? You never know what happens tomorrow. You know, for me, why is it so special? I think Amsterdam, because it has everything, but it's a very small space. You know, I've lived in Paris, I've lived in, in London, I've lived in Geneva. Um, I've lived in, you know, close to San Francisco. I've lived in different mm -hmm. big cities as well. But it's so easy. Everything is it very is. close. Every, every, everything is a 10-minute cycle, yes, according to Google really, Maps. Yeah. I'm very curious, uh, as him as a person, how he was. What I hear from everybody who knew him well, especially from somebody like, you know, had worked in the office or people that who have worked with him before, he was the most loveliest person. I mean, I know Omusi, one of our lawyers uh, from the first year. She always talks about, uh, that's the first year that she got an award. And she always talks with such a, a tender and lovely about how fabulous it was to be able to talk to a, a prince. And she felt so loved. And every time she used to come back and do things. And I think everybody says he was a very unique personality. Is there a lesser known art space that people should absolutely visit when visiting Amsterdam? I would say the Gallery of Einwerk, because I think it's a very special space. Because it's a very small gallery and he only has one work. And I, I really, and I think the building is really beautiful in the middle of it. You know, the architecture is really nice. And of course, Irma Bohm, my favorite uh, designer who works with us already from the first day, day one, is in the same building and uh, is her partner. For me, that is a space, Einwerk is a nice place for people to go and see. And is there also an artist living here in Amsterdam or working who people might not know, but they really should? Then I would also go and talk about Omar Imam. Omar Imam is a photographer, an artist from Syria who has moved to Amsterdam the last few years because of the situation there, who has been a Prince Klaas fund, one of the ADDP grantees of the mentorship program, and he's been an artist. Rex Academy, I think, for two years. And I really admire him, where he came from and where he's going, and he's a very good artist. So I would say Omar Imam. What's your favorite place to eat in Amsterdam? I really like the Hotel de l'Europe in the terrace. I love it because it's summer, you that sit there. That terrace is great. That terrace, you have lunch and they have the best service, and you sit and it's, the weather is nice. And again, I love it. I, I really, and inside the food is so good. From the stories you're telling with many of your guests staying at, at some of the best hotels in, in the city and some of our listeners are maybe planning trips to Amsterdam, could you just give a few hotel tips? I think hotels are so very personal. So if people want to, it's not only the hotel room that is important. I think it has also to do what do what kind of hotel do you feel comfortable in? And I think, as I was mentioning, for me, some Hotels have more character and they stay with their characters than others. And it's also the centrality. Some, some hotels are in the center of the city, so people love to be there, and some hotels are a bit further away. I think one of the hotels which are affordable because they have all different kinds of hotels is the Lloyd Hotel. The Lloyd Hotel has five-star rooms, and they have one-star room that they have to share, and it has different prices. But I think it's, they call it, it was used to be a, a cultural space for people to be together. So the Lloyd Hotel is, also gives us rooms uh, to our artists who stay there. 
And again, my favorite hotels, everybody with, who has stayed in these hotels, I think the, the position of the Grand Hotel is really nice because you know it's in this historical place. They have really nice rooms and they have decorated really nicely. If you want a room with a view, I think this is something, you know, the Doubletree Hilton has, you know, very, very central and very close to, to places and not very high price as well. And next to the central station, which is very easy for people to walk around or move around. I think that's also a nice place. I like the rooftop bar there. Yeah, the roof part is when the summer, unfortunately, I, my daughter became 30 and we stayed in one of the rooms just for the, you know, in a suite because to do something because you couldn't do anything and eat anywhere, go outside. And it was one of the hottest days, the 31st of March. Yeah, so it was the nice thing about it that people are also very nice service. I think the service always is also very nice. And of course, Pulitzer. Mm. Who should we absolutely interview for this podcast in one of our future episodes? I think it would be Else from the Plus because she can tell you much more about the Prince Class film than I have ever said because she started it. It would have been, but also she's been, of course, before ever starting the Prince Class Fund and now being in Maastricht. And maybe she can tell you a lot also about ballet and the opera and what she's done and she changed the whole scene. I think she would be fabulous. We're adding her to the list. So Fariba, uh, on behalf also of Joost, I really would like to thank you because you really have resonated, I would say, your perspective on Amsterdam, but also about the meaning of relationships within the art scene, also with artists, and also put the artists in the center is something I really, really appreciate for you to actually point it out in this interview. And I'm really thankful for everything you've contributed so far, and we hope to see much more about, I would say, different kind of awards in the Prince Klaus Funds, and we are really keen on whatever is coming towards you. Thank you so much, and I really am very happy and, and honored that you've asked me, and, and I hope I had, could shed some light on the work that we do. I think that's really important. And of course, as I told you, I've lived in many places, but I think the Netherlands and Amsterdam and, and Holland has been my, most of my life I've stayed here, you know, for the past more than 30 so many years, so I don't want to even think about the years, but I think this is where home is. And I think it's important for people to understand home is wherever you are and your heart is wherever it is, but you have to open your heart to everything that you see. So I think, again, on that note, so happy. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Thank you, Fariba. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to our podcast. We thank the Jazz Orchestra of the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam for our podcast tune, Blues for the Date, by Peter Bates. Please check out the rest of their amazing album, Blues for the Date, on Spotify. Art City Amsterdam is produced by Studio Balsam and Stevenson. We are your hosts, Joost Bosland and Rubia Balsam. See you in Amsterdam.